we began a spiritual sightseeing journey up the beautiful biblical Route 316. As we talked this morning, we began the lesson. I mentioned how a lot of states are known for some of the beautiful scenic highways within them. For example, Oklahoma is known for Route 66 and all of the attractions and the beauty along it. If you were to go to my home state of Maine, you would find Route 1 winds its way up along the coast, up through Bath and starts out in Kittery, and it's just all these, these beautiful pieces of scenery of the ocean and all of those things that make Maine a special place. And so I mentioned how the most known verse in the Bible is John 3.16. But the number 3.16 in the Bible is a number that should not only be known because of John 3.16, but there are a multitude of absolutely beautiful passages centering around 3.16. And so this morning, we looked at some of those. And tonight, we continue our trip up the beautiful straight and narrow Route 3.16 as it makes its way through the New Testament. Because 3.16 isn't just something that we should think about in reference to the Gospel of John anymore. And I will tell you again, there are sheets out here on this little slanted pulpit on the left-hand side that contain a more comprehensive list because I do not have time in two sermons to get through every one of these beautiful passages that talk about God's power and prominence and all of the spiritual beauty that is contained. So this morning we went through the Old Testament. Tonight we will look at some of them in the New Testament. I want to begin looking at Route 316 as it winds its way through the New Testament in Matthew chapter 3. Please turn there. Now again, as I said, it's not always necessarily verse 16, but verse 16 is in the middle. It's kind of the route that we take and we see beautiful scenery off to either side of Route 16 of chapter 3 in a lot of different texts. This one begins in Matthew 3, verse 13. Goes through 16 all the way to 17. Let us read, talking about Jesus' baptism. It says there, beginning in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Forbid it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Understand, Jesus had no sin. When we are baptized, it is for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus was not baptized for the forgiveness of sins because he never sinned. But Jesus was baptized, as he puts it, to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, he's setting the right example for that which is to come. He's, he's setting the precedent, showing us what must be done. Well, look at verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Notice it wasn't a sprinkling, it was, a, it was an immersion. He came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly... A voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now I want you to think about how Jesus' baptism does resemble ours. We've talked about how it doesn't. When we decide to repent, to turn our lives over to God, to change directions and, and, and give ourselves fully to Him, and we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, there are some similarities between what happened with Jesus as he set the precedent, and what happens to us. Please notice that in this passage, both God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are present. When we are baptized and we obey God's commandment, 
We are washed in the blood of Jesus. Acts 2.38 says, Let each one of you repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit is mentioned there in Acts 2.38. And what does God do? God is there. God adds us to his church, his saved group, when we are baptized. So we have all three of the Godhead acting when we are baptized, too. And here's one of the beautiful things. Please notice in the very last verse of chapter 3, that's where God said, this is my beloved son. He acknowledges here Jesus as his son. And when we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, again, as I mentioned this morning, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, that's where we become sons of God as well. For you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When our faith leads us to obey the commandments of God, to be baptized, that is when we too are recognized as God's child, the same as the public confession was made here. If we move on in our study of, Act, of, of 3.16, go to the book of Acts, chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, as so many of us are familiar, Peter heals this man who was begging alms. This lame man. Peter healed him. And I want us to look what ensues after that. Look at the beautiful power and the promises and the grace and mercy of God to both sides of Acts 3.16. Let us begin in verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up, and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied. Peter's telling right point blank. You denied the Holy One. You people did this. And the just. Not only did you deny him, but you asked for a murderer to be granted to you and kill the prince of life. These people had some dirt on their list, didn't they? You killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your fathers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I, I don't want you to miss this scenery. This very group, Many of them who were responsible for the death of the Savior. Many of them who had asked for a murderer to be released to them. This group who had had God's Son put to death. Many of them. Peter says, you did this. You denied him. But even that sin, God was willing to forgive. Don't miss that scenery. Peter tells them, hey, verse 19. You need to turn your life to God and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. God was willing to forgive even that, wasn't he? And so the times of refreshing 
Because God wanted these people forgiven. Even for what they had done in butchering his son. God extended forgiveness to them. So that times of refreshing can come from the Lord. God wants to refresh you. God wants to give you peace. God wants to, to, to forgive all your sins and make you his child. That's the message that Peter told even those people. Just like on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. You, with the help of godless men, nailed him to a cross. But God raised him up. Acts 2, same message. Don't miss that beauty in Acts 3, verses 11 through 19, as we continue to wind our route, 316, through the New Testament. You know, sometimes people think, God couldn't possibly forgive me for what I've done. I had a man say to me once, if I walked into the church building, the roof would fall down. I got a newsflash for you. You don't know God. Paul said, I was the worst of sinners. And yet God... Use me as an example. Basically, what he said was in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 16, hey, if God can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. That's the message here. The beauty of this scenery. God was willing to convert, to, to have them converted, to wash away their sins, and to refresh them, even those who had denied his son. Isn't God awesome? In Ephesians chapter 3, that's our next stop along Route 316 as we go through the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 3, we'll look again at the scenery on both sides of 3.16. We'll read from Ephesians 3.14 through 21. The scenery on both sides of this highway, and it's all beautiful. Paul says to the Church of Christ in first century Ephesus, Ephesians 3, verses 14 and following, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. Remember, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to people that don't know the scriptures to a degree. But he says, I want God to grant you, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Think about that contradiction. He said, I want you to know that which you cannot possibly know. He said, I want you to understand church members. Again, this wasn't written to pagans who didn't know God. This was written to the Church of Christ members in first century Ephesus. And he says, I, just, I pray and I just want you to understand how much God loves you. I want you to understand the height and the width and the depth and the strength of God's love for you, because you don't know it yet. You may be Christians, but you haven't even begun to fully comprehend the love that God has for you. He says, my prayer is that you will, and that you will come to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Again, that contradiction, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You want to be filled with all the fullness of God? That was Paul's prayer for his brethren. Now to him, here's how he wraps it up who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Remember this morning we talked about one of those Old Testament uh, passages where we wound our way through the Old Testament 3.16. You, you remember Daniel chapter 3, for those of you that were here this morning, and how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, God is able, and we know he will, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to another God. Even if God doesn't rescue us, we're going to trust him. And we know how they were rewarded, how when they come out of the fire, 
There wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. Well, here's another passage that says that God is able. He is exceedingly abundantly able to do above all that we ask or think. When we pray to God and we ask him to do something, he's able to do far more than we ask. Now, I don't know about some of you. Hopefully some of you have got quite an imagination. And you can just, you can just imagine how, how God could answer this prayer or, or what God could do. And Paul says, no, you don't understand. Despite your most vivid imagination and all that you ask or think, or you can imagine in your own head, God's able to far surpass that. Isn't that beautiful? Don't miss this passage. According to the power that works in us, the power that we have, the hope, the strength that we have because we're children of the living God who follow his word, we have strength that we don't even know about. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. God is able to do above all that we ask or think. What a beautiful 3.16. We have another one in Philippians 3.16. And the verses that surround it, look at this. Here's something all Christians need to know. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Look what Paul says to the church of Christ in first century Philippi. And I keep saying that because there were no other churches. There were Christ's church and that was it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 read as follows. Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. You think Paul had it pretty, good, pretty well together spiritually? You think Paul pretty much had it together? I mean, he could do miracles. He could raise the dead. He, he had divine knowledge. Paul had it pretty much together, didn't he? He said, you know what? I ain't reached the goal yet. There's hope for us that struggle who have a lot less than Paul had, Okay. He says, not that I've attained it, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. Jesus laid a hold of you for a reason. He wanted you to grow, to love him, and to serve him here so he could take you home to heaven. Brethren, Paul says in verse 13, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Paul was taking nothing for granted. He goes, well, you know what? I can do this, and I can do that, and I know what the Bible says, and you know what? I've got it pretty well made. I can just relax and coast from here. No, that's not what Paul said. Now, he wasn't going to coast. He said, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. One of the things Christians struggle with the most is forgiving themselves. I've heard that way too many times. The most difficult form of forgiveness is to forgive myself. Brethren, if God has forgiven you, You need to let it go. If Jesus Christ has put it underneath his blood, you do not have the right to dredge in there in your scuba gear and dig it all up again. You don't. What God has put under the blood needs to stay there. Amen? That's the way this works. And Paul, if anybody had a reason to count his failures, to count the terrible things that he had done, to look back and say, oh, woe is me, and let it cripple him from serving God in the future, it's the Apostle Paul. But you know what he said? He said, I'm forgetting those things that are behind and I'm pressing on toward the goal. I'm not going to let my past hamper me from reaching my goal. 
I'm not going to let those failures that I had back there hamstring me so that I cannot continue moving forward. I'm letting that stuff go. And I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead, that prize. I'm going to hang on to that for which Christ is hanging on to me. He said, let us all think that same way, verses 15 and 16, and join in following his example. And note those who so walk as you have in us a pattern, verse 17. We need to follow the Apostle Paul's pattern. Every one of us has failed in the past. Every one of us has made mistakes in the past. Even since we were baptized, we've messed up. We've said something, done something we shouldn't have done. Unless you're baptized 10 minutes ago and you weren't because I was standing here. Paul said, you know what? I've got to let that stuff go and leave it under the blood and the grace of God. And I'm going to move forward and I'm going to keep on working and serving and teaching. And I'm going to keep going. Because that's what I was saved to do. Colossians chapter 3. Another part of Route 3.16. Colossians 3. Real briefly, verses 16 and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. One of the reasons that we in the churches of Christ are told to sing is this is how we teach one another. When we sing biblical songs, we teach and admonish one another. It's not some band or some soloist or some group. We're all to teach and admonish one another. We're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it's so beautiful when the saints encourage one another with those. We would move on in our 316 route to 2 Thessalonians 316. Look at it for a moment. Another beautiful power passage along this route. 2 Thessalonians 316. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you always. When we look at that passage, it doesn't look like much, just one little verse. But may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. May God himself give you peace. How often? Always and in all things. Is Christ able to do that? Absolutely. And that's the beauty of this. God is referred to in Romans 15, 33 and 16, 20 as the God of peace. And when the God of peace, the God who gives peace himself to his people, when that God was here in the flesh, Jesus Christ, do you know the peace that he promised? He promised that if we follow him, we could have peace when he was here in the flesh. Look with me real quickly in, in John 14, verse 27. John 14 and verse 27. Look what that same God of peace promised when he was here in the flesh. He is able, brethren. Jesus said to his disciples that night in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When Jesus said, I'm not giving you the kind of peace that the world does, because the kind of peace the world gives you can be gone in a day. Jesus wants to give you peace for life, no matter what. It's not a quick, fleeting peace. You know, I can, I can take a pill, or I can listen to some man make all these promises of self-help, and, and I can gain this false peace for a day or two until the next problem. But Jesus' peace is a peace that lasts. Look what he says in John 16, in verse 33. Another beautiful message that God 
in the flesh left us, the God of peace. He says in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. We've got to be in Christ in order to have peace. He says in the world you will have tribulation. Brethren, we're going to have trouble in this world. Don't get, as long as you're here, you're going to have problems. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love the punchline, don't you? Yeah, you're going to have trouble, but listen, you can be happy about it because I've overcome the world if you're in Christ. You can have peace. Just trust me, will you? That's sorry, that's my addition. I'm gonna get excited in a minute. Let's continue with our Route 316. Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Guess where? 14 through 16. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We need to know how to conduct ourselves in God's house. God's church is the one that holds up the truth for all to see. But look what he says in verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What does he mean without controversy, great is this mystery? He means it's inarguable. God was manifested or made known in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. You can take this to the grave. You can count on this. That's why it's such a privilege to be in the house of God that, that holds the truth up there for the whole world to see because the truth is Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. It was attested to by angels. All of these things happened and he was received up into glory. And you know the promise Jesus made for him? He was received up into glory? In my father's house, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you that you may be where I am also. John 14, 1, 2, 3. Isn't that beautiful? That's the promise he made. And we know he was received up into glory. And so we have the privilege of being in God's house and studying this truth and getting to know this Messiah better and what a glorious and beautiful picture this is of the love God has for us. But we must speed along up this route because of time. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at the scenery around Route 316 in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, it says this. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Again, persecution and trouble is a reality in this life. And if you're living for Jesus, you're going to face persecution. You're going to. That's what Jesus said through the Holy Spirit, to Paul, and he wrote it down for Timothy. It's going to happen. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Look at the beauty here. 
You're going to struggle. You're going to be persecuted. Evil men are going to say things that aren't true. There's going to be false teaching all over the place. But he said, you don't have to fall for it. You don't have to fall victim to it. You don't have to be taken advantage of by it. He said, listen, you want to avoid all that mess? You want to avoid being led astray? The scripture, every word of it comes from God. And if you will stick with what the scripture says, you will not be deceived by all of this falsehood and evil. You will make it through. The word of God is able to make you, the King James Version says perfect, and it means complete. We have in the scriptures all we need to stand perfect and complete before God, to make it through this life with all of its evil and all of its tribulations and stand perfect, holy, justified, and cleansed before Almighty God on Judgment Day so we hear those beautiful, blessed words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear those words. I want to hear those words. And the only thing that will help me to get through this life with all of those things and hear those words is to understand that every word of scripture is from God. That's where the wisdom is. That's what I need to do. Don't have time to look at James 3, 13 through 18. That is the heart and soul of the book of James. Again, check out those sheets. Moving right along, Route 316 in a hurry here. 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn there. In 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at the scenery surrounding Route 316. We're going to start in verse 14. 2 Peter 3, 14. And going through verse 18. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, is written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You say, well, that's not very promising. It's not promising that people will twist the scriptures, but again, we have the promise that we don't have to fall to that. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Okay, Peter, how do we do that? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Can we avoid the pitfalls of false teaching? Can we? Absolutely. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, it says this. What a beautiful route this is through the scriptures. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. To me, this is the heart and soul of the book of 1 John. This is what everything revolves around for me, is that we need to love like Jesus. What is our reward for loving like Jesus? Eternity with Jesus. It says that over in verse 17 of 1 John 4. Look what it says in 1 John 4, 17. And I'm skipping a whole lot of text here, but look what it says. This type of love, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. 
you want boldness in the day of judgment? Do you want to be able to face judgment day when you're on your deathbed with boldness and assurance that, that you're ready to meet God? You want that? I want that. I've seen too many people die that weren't. I want that boldness. And he said, we have the ability to have that boldness in the day of judgment. How? Because as he is, so are we in this world. Because as Jesus is, love, compassion, mercy, forgiveness. Because as he is, current tense, that's the way we are in this world. When we look like God's son, we'll be accepted as God's sons and daughters. And there's obedience and a whole lot of other stuff in there. But, but look at the beauty and the power of this. I want boldness and confidence on the day of judgment. Yes, humility. Yes. When I'm laying on my deathbed, if that happens, that I don't die in an accident somewhere, I want to have confidence that when I meet God, he recognizes I'm his child. Well, how's he going to recognize that? Well, did I look like his child while I was here? Did I look like Jesus as much as I possibly could? That's what gives me confidence and boldness. And finally, Revelation chapter 3. we were to begin with verse 14, it's talking to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. And as we go down through there, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but as we go down through Revelation 3, 14 through 20, this church had an idea that they were doing just fine, and by their own standards they were. But God told them basically, you're using the wrong standard. You ain't using mine, and you need to. You need to use my judgment, not yours. He says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. Shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eyesight that you may see. He's saying to his own children, his own church, don't you get it? You've got to open your eyes. You've got to understand, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. God says, sometimes I'm going to rebuke you. A good father sometimes has to correct his children. They don't like it at the time, Hebrews 12. No, no affliction seems joyful at the time, but afterward it yields a wonderful result. And sometimes God has to do that. And so God is trying to rebuke them and chasten them and get them back on the right path. And he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him, and he with me. A lot of people want to use this as an invitation. I'm not using it as an invitation because it's written to a church. It's written to people that are already his, who've hardened their heart. This is not written to people to come to Christ. These are, this is to a church that's already in Christ. He said, I'm going to stand at the door and knock. In other words, church members, you know what God's saying? Sometimes you've got to open up the door and change some things. You've got to open the door of your heart. Don't let your heart get so hard you think you've got it all down pat and you're doing wonderful if you're using the wrong standard. I'm going to, I'm going to stand at the door and knock and you've got to change some things. You've got to fix some things. Don't harden your heart to the point where you won't open the door to my challenge. And so as we look down through these, and that's a very brief and abbreviated version, John 3.16 is far from being the only 3.16 power passage in the entire Bible. The Bible's full of them. In fact, I am convinced that if we did not have, for some reason, a complete Bible available to us, if we only had the third chapter of each book of the Bible, only the third chapter, wherein the 16th verse serves as the centerpiece of so many of them, we would still have a pretty good idea of the love of God and what God wants for us if we only had chapter 3. I'm glad we got the whole thing, don't get me wrong. But 316 is an incredibly powerful rooted number throughout the Bible. And I realize when the Bible is written, it was not divided into book, chapter, and verse. 
but it's really incredible when you thread through these verses. And you know, I hope the next time that you hear somebody stress, John 3.16, that's a wonderful verse. I don't mean to belittle it, but I hope you'll remember this series of lessons, and I hope that you will share with them some other 3.16 power passages of Scripture. You know what will happen if you do? You start sharing the goodness of God out of some other 316 passages, you just might find yourself with a Bible study on your hands, and that would be really, really good. After all, God did not limit himself to just one verse. Why should we? Question tonight. Are you one of his children who have taken advantage of his promise? John 3, 16, for God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not, the correct translation is not shall not, but should not perish. If we truly believe in God, we shouldn't perish. We still can, but we shouldn't. Because if we truly believe he's the son of God, we should obey him. We should obey his commandments. As it says in the last paragraph of today's bulletin article, and I hope you've all read your bulletin article today or get one on the way out if you haven't because it goes with this lesson. As the last paragraph says, each and every day, we are given the same exact choice as Adam and Eve were given. God still loves and provides for us more than we can ever imagine. And so the question is, the question is not, does God love us? But do we love God according to his definition? What's God's definition of love for him? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, John 14, 15. Do you love him enough to listen to and obey only him? Matthew 4.10. Have you obeyed the gospel, God's commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Acts 2.38. Are you daily listening to, learning of, and walking in obedience to and with the Lord your God? Or are you choosing to love, trust, listen to, and live for someone else, resulting in eternally more death and suffering? We begin our journey through the scriptures this morning with Genesis chapter 3. That's where Ruth 3.16 began. We talked about how they didn't listen to God and all of those things that happened. Question tonight. If you have never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, isn't it time to take advantage of these exceedingly great and precious promises? Isn't it time to follow Jesus' example when he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness and was publicly declared at that point, this is my beloved son. Isn't it time to become a son of God through faith by obeying his command, taking advantage of the offer he's made you? Do you love him enough to live, learn, and obey his will from now on, beginning with your being baptized specifically for the forgiveness of your sins? Please make your choice now in a moment as we stand and sing. And if that's something you've already done, but you're struggling with something that we can help you and pray for you with, if there's anything we can do to help you grow closer to this God and his incredible promises, to journey and notice more of the beautiful scenery of Biblical Route 316, please come to the front as we stand and sing.